It's a great joy to be with you. And the, uh, in some ways, the inspiration for my being here at the conference came from uh, an earlier invitation to speak to the men at a men's retreat this past year, which was a great blessing for, for me, I hope also f- uh, for you. And after that, uh, there was a thought of, well, perhaps we can invite Mark again and he could speak to us and do something similar in terms of a scripture teaching, something related to Jewish tradition, etc. Uh, but uh, I asked uh, Paul when I met with him to discuss this if if I could do something a little different. And that's because uh, there's been something pressing on my mind for the last year or year and a half. And it's very much related to you all. And it's also related to what I've been doing for the last 25 years and how these things actually are interconnected in the mind and purpose of God. So I asked if I could do that, and uh, Paul said, sure. So here it goes. Uh, What I really want to do is talk to you a bit about mission and purpose and uh, what we're all about. And I say we here because I'm, I'm not just speaking about the word of life. I'm not just speaking about the sword of the spirit. I'm speaking about a move of the Holy Spirit, something that God began in, in a new way in the 1970s. Of which the Messianic Jewish movement that I'm a part of, I think, is one element I want to speak about this move of the Spirit and what God's purpose is in it all. And I think it's of great relevance, I know, for me and my own life, and I hope for you as well. What I really want to do is make one simple statement that I then want to unpack in three different presentations. And so the three titles are really three parts of one statement. The statement is that uh, our vocation is to be a charismatic and ecumenical body, that we have an ecumenical and charismatic vocation to covenant community as participation in Israel's covenant renewal. That's the second title. And the third, engaged in a spiritual struggle at a turning of the ages. So, first of all, I want to speak about a charismatic and ecumenical vocation. I've been thinking a lot in this past couple of years about the 1970s. That first decade in our life here... Uh, as the Word of God and what became the Sword of the Spirit. I've been doing so because I've been convinced that the events of that time are crucial for understanding the days in which we now live. In the 1970s, our sense of calling was shaped by what God was doing in an international movement 
an ecumenical, charismatic movement. One that we really in many ways were at the center of. And we experienced that in our daily, weekly life. You know, we, we had this organization, Charismatic Renewal Services, that, that was based in Ann Arbor and in South Bend. We ran these huge conferences at Notre Dame at the football stadium there for the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. We put out a magazine, New Covenant magazine, which was the magazine, the vehicle for the Catholic Charismatic Renewal that went out to, I can't remember, 50 or 60,000 people around the world. And we, we had relationships with leaders in this charismatic movement that were both Protestant and Catholic. Some were non-denominational. Some of you might remember the community conference in 1974 where we had Derek Prince and Bob Mumford come and speak to us. That was quite a community conference. And then in 1975, we had the Rome Conference, and we were very, very much central to that conference in which uh, Pope Paul himself uh, made an appearance and in which members of our community were prophesying from, uh, from the pulpit of St. Peter's. And we had that relationship with, with Cardinal Sunans, one of the most important figures within the Catholic Church. That led ultimately to Steve and Ralph moving uh, to, to Belgium for a period of time. I think in many ways the climax of all of this was the, the Kansas City Conference in 1977. This was uh, an ecumenical charismatic conference that brought together Catholic charismatics, denominational Protestant charismatics, traditional Pentecostals, and Messianic Jews. This was uh, the days when the Messianic Jewish movement was just, just as new as the Catholic Charismatic movement. And, and it's quite striking that these two movements came to birth at exactly the same time in history. In the late 1960s, early 1970s. At that Kansas City conference, there were denominational conferences during the day. And then we would all meet together in the football stadium in Kansas City. Uh, and so there were I, maybe 50,000 people there uh, in, in the evening sessions. And so there was a Catholic conference during the day and a Presbyterian conference and uh, Lutheran conference, etc. And there was this little Messianic Jewish conference. And our community was staffing all of these different conferences. We were the uh, administrators for each one and we, because we had people from all of these different traditions that could be assigned to work with uh, the, the, the leaders. And so, uh, unsurprisingly, I was assigned to be the administrator, we called it the servant, for the Messianic Jewish Conference. And this was my introduction to the Messianic Jewish movement nationally and internationally, which uh, had, had just begun. One of the things, though, that was so surprising about that uh, Messianic Jewish Conference was that some of the people who were leading it weren't even charismatics. And so 
I scratch my head a little bit now when I think about this. All of the other conferences, they were really conferences specifically focused on this charismatic aspect of life. But the Messianic Jewish one, that was not what was going on. What were the organizers of this conference thinking? What they were thinking was that the Messianic Jewish movement itself was simply a charism. It was an, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Something God was doing that they sensed, I think intuitively rather than explicitly articulating in their own minds, was bound up with this new thing that God was doing in the church as a whole. And so this event, I think, really expressed something of what, what God was about that was very, very basic. It had to do with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church, but it also had to do with the people of God coming together, overcoming ancient prejudices and hostilities, finding one another as brothers and sisters across all of these, these ancient chasms. I think that in our own community and in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, there was a particular type of gift. I think that gift was the sense that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit wasn't simply there, wasn't simply a gift given to us in order to heal our bodies or give us uh, a nice spiritual high, but that what was happening was we were encountering the living God. We were encountering the Holy One who was enfolding us in his love and manifesting through his spirit what he had done in saving the world in his son, Jesus. That this was now not a, a doctrine. This was not simply a historical fact. This was something that was real and concrete and tangible that we were experiencing in our lives. And it made us simply want to give all to him. God had given all to us and we, we believed it. We knew it in our hearts. And we wanted to give all back to him. That, I think, for many ways was the very essence of that, what charismatic meant for us back then. Not, not something sensational. Something fundamental at the very heart of who God is and of what he desires for this world. And that reality was something which over, overflowed and overwhelmed the different kinds of barriers and relationships that existed among the disciples of Jesus within the people of God and also between Jew and Gentile. Uh, you can uh, move to the next slide, Ehrman. Now, in the 1980s, in many ways, we, we lost some contact with a lot of what was going on in that wider world. And of course, we went through a traumatic experience with the, with the community split, which led uh, actually to the formation of our congregation, Congregation Zara Avraham. And I I'm, I'm, need to be frank with you. I, I came away from that traumatic experience with a certain jaundiced view 
of the charismatic uh, movement. Uh, I, uh, in many ways, I blamed it for a lot of the pain that we had experienced. I remember thinking to myself, oh, for a nice dead church. And so in some ways I was thinking, well, I, I, I had always had the sense of this calling to the Jewish people that was fundamental, that was at the very root of who, who I was. In fact, when I became a, a coordinator in 1976, uh, some of you might not know this, uh, one of the things I made as a condition of accepting uh, taking on the role of coordinator was that the body of coordinators as a whole would acknowledge, would recognize that the fundamental calling on my life was to the Jewish people. And that a way would be made within the life of the community in order for that to be uh, expressed. So this was always for me at the very heart of who I was. It was. It was a wrenching thing for me to have a kind of rupture between that calling to the Jewish people, and my calling to community. Because these two had, for me, been always one, and suddenly they were being pulled apart. So I just, I just assumed, okay, now what I have is this calling to the Jewish people, and I guess all of that other stuff, you know, the, the charismatic and the ecumenical stuff, that that's something of the past. I had no idea where, where it fit into my future. And really, uh, that changed with, uh, really through, I think, one particular person, the influence of one particular person. And uh, his name is Father Peter Hocken. Now, Father Peter Hocken was a, a prominent leader within the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. He is actually a, uh, a theologian and a historian of the Pentecostal and Charismatic movement. Originally from England, came to the United States, lived in the Mother of God community in Washington for about 20 years. I met him actually at, uh, in the 1980s through our uh, Allies in F F for Faith and Renewal conferences. He was speaking and I was speaking, and we spent time together and developed uh, a close friendship in the 1980s. And even at that point, we, we had the same vision for ecumenism, the same sense also of the importance of the Jewish people in all of this picture. And then uh, I just uh, lost contact with Father Peter. And then in 1996, I meet Father Peter again at a Messianic Jewish conference. And it turned out that Father Peter had been developing relationships with Messianic Jews. And he had a vision of what God was doing in both the, originally the Pentecostal movement, the charismatic renewal in the Protestant churches, the charismatic movement in the Catholic church, and the Messianic Jewish movement that put them all together. And so I was uh, quite astonished. I, I, he had just written a book called The Glory and the Shame that put this all together 
and I bought a copy of the book and read it, and I was very impressed. But I thought, okay, well, that's that. And then I hear back from Father Peter a couple of years later. And Father Peter at that point is in the, the very heart of a, of a movement to try to establish a dialogue between the Catholic Church and the Messianic Jewish movement. And this is... Uh, there were a set of conversation, conversations that Father Peter was central to that involved... Uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, before he was Pope Benedict. Uh, Cardinal uh, Cotier, who was the theologian of the papal household for John Paul II. And uh, Cardinal Christoph Schönborn, the Archbishop of Vienna. And uh, there was this sense that there was something important about the Messianic Jewish movement. And I, I was astounded that... The Pope and, and other leading Catholics would look at this crazy movement, uh, this crazy Messianic Jewish movement, and think that there was anything of any significance to it. But they all believed that there was something of tremendous importance. So we began a dialogue in the year 2000 that has continued to this day. Father Peter was absolutely central to that, to bringing it to pass. And Father Peter was a charismatic, a true charismatic, who got into things that I would never... What can I say, you know? I mean, you know, he, he put himself in these places and situations that I would never go, where I would never find myself. Uh, and yet, he was this reserved English eccentric guy who was also an intellectual. And so uh, in our conversations, he helped me get past my reactions to what happened in our trauma in the late 80s and early 90s. And he also helped me get a vision that I didn't have before of how all of these things went together. The original Pentecostal movement, whoops, excuse me. The charismatic movement in the Protestant churches, in the Catholic Church, and the Messianic Jewish movement. Father Peter identified four great surprises of the Holy Spirit in the 20th century. And these were the four. The, the, the original Pentecostal movement, the Protestant charismatic movement, the Catholic charismatic movement, and the Messianic Jewish movement. And he saw something very unique about what was going on in the 20th century here. What he identified is that we had one particular experience of God, blessing of God, grace of God, that was being given to different groups of people. And each group thought that the group who received it afterwards would never, could never receive such a thing. Initially, 
this blessing gets poured out out on the very fringes of the institutional historical church. On an interracial group of people who are not connected to the historic churches in any way. And they think now they're experiencing this work of the Holy Spirit for the first time. And they've pretty much written off all of the history of, of the church. And then somehow that work of the Holy Spirit leaps over into these denominational Protestant churches. Who have more sense of history, more sense of continuity. But, you know, it only goes back to the 16th century. And, of course, they, they think, well, the Spirit has been given to us. But, of course, it never happened with the Catholics. And then, it does. The work of the Holy Spirit in this new way, this new type of encounter with the work of God. Comes both to Catholic Charismatics and then to Jews. Who are also encountering Jesus the Messiah for the first time through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Father Peter saw how unusual this was and he asked this question. He said, were there any other instances in church history in which these two conditions were fulfilled? A, a series of divine interventions occurring, occurred involving the same blessing being poured out on quite different groups of people. And B, that each subsequent new divine intervention represented a wholly unexpected grace bestowed on a group considered to be beyond the scope of such a blessing. <laughs> Father Peter, as a church historian, could only find one example in church history that was like this. The one instance, he said, of such a series in Christian history that is demonstrably parallel to the series of surprises of the Spirit in the Pentecostal and Charismatic movements is that found in the Acts of the Apostles. He continues, it would appear that the 20th century developments are in some ways the inverse of those of the first century. In the first century, the movement was outward from Jews and proselytes through Samaritans and God-fearers to complete pagans. The 20th century sequence begins from the fringe of institutional historic Christianity and works back towards the old and venerable Historic Protestant churches, the Roman Catholic Church, and Judaism. Now, I just, in the last year, uh, went back and reread this book. And these insights of Father Peter struck me even more powerfully this time than they did when I first read them in the 1990s. One of the reasons is I've, I've recently done some writing myself on the Acts of the Apostles. And what I had discovered and, and wrote about and it argued for is that the book of Acts is actually structured in this way to lead one to expect prophetically that at the end of the age there would be such a reversal of the sort that Father Peter was identifying in the 20th century. 
because in the book of Acts, you, you, you don't simply have the gospel going from Jerusalem out to Judea, to Samaria, to Antioch, to Asia Minor, to Europe, and ultimately to Rome. Sometimes when you think about the structure of Acts, you can think of it that way, as, it's, as if it's a linear movement. But it's not actually. Every time the, the gospel goes out one stage, it comes right back to Jerusalem. So for every one of Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts, he always comes back to Jerusalem. So it's a kind of arc. It's like going out and then back. And then it goes further out and then back and then further out and then back and ultimately all the way to Rome. But then what happens at the end of the book in Acts 28? The book ends without coming back. And so what I have argued is that what the structure of the book of Acts is actually pointing to is the incomplete nature of this work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And that ultimately there is to be a return, a return to Jerusalem. In some ways, that's really what Father Peter was tracing in his presentation of the work of the Holy Spirit in the 20th century. I think this is of great importance for us. It's of great importance for me because I need to see how this little movement that I'm part of is knit together with something much, much bigger that God is doing in the world. And in particular, in my own personal life, what this has done is that it has made me realize how this particular Messianic Jewish calling was always bound up with what God was doing in the Word of God and the Sword of the Spirit and in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal and in the wider Charismatic Renewal and in the Pentecostal movement itself. Father Peter helped me see the glory in the midst of the shame. Now, the, the name of Father Peter's book, The Glory and the Shame, what it's referring to is the fact that all of these surprises of the Holy Spirit of the 20th century, they've not simply been glory. There's been plenty of shame to go around in all of them. And that in the midst of the, the, the powerful pr presence of God, transforming lives and manifesting his grace. What we've also had is plenty of human sin and craziness. And for me, the crucial part has been to not lose sight of the glory. I see the shame very, very clearly. But I'm beginning to see the glory more clearly at the same time. In the midst of the shame. And it, in the midst of all of this for the last year, year and a half, it's, this is all 
made me think a lot more about all of you. Because I'm convinced that what God has been doing with me and, uh, and with the movement now that I am part of is bound up with all of you. And that I need to see it in relationship to that. That, that wider work of, of God in the 20th century that you all are such an important part of. But it also has led me to think that, that maybe it's worth my sharing these things with all of you because maybe there's something all for all of you in this too. To be able to see how you are part of something bigger than yourself. Of course, you know that because you're, you're part of an international community and so you know that you're only one part of that international body. But that international body is itself part of a greater work of the Holy Spirit that began about 50 years ago. And that work of the Holy Spirit could only have existed because of an earlier work of the Holy Spirit that began at the beginning of the 20th century. So, what I've uh, really been finding is uh, converging paths. Paths that I thought were just diverging as I found my way in the Messianic Jewish movement. And lo and behold, here I am looking, looking at all of your faces again. And uh, here you are looking at mine. And I think that there is uh, there's something important here in what God is doing that we must come to grips with. The first part of it is grasping this sense of this charismatic and ecumenical vocation that's very basic, I think, to who you are and to who I am.